Skunk it. I feel like we're um, <clears throat> take two. <laughs> was that a clock cough or a clear in the throat? That was a that was a clear in the throat. Mate. Good. <laughs> You'll know. You'll know when I've got it. Um, I feel like we're at this point we're 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 doing people a service almost by recording this podcast. Because if you're going to be locked in your house for fourteen days because you may or may not have contracted the coronavirus, we got to give you something to listen Ooh. to. If any of our friends get the coronavirus and they still haven't listened to our podcast... Yeah, then that, that would really suck. <laughs> it's like really suck. What are you going to say? You didn't have enough time? Well, yeah, you had loads of time. Oh, what, you were catching up on stuff on Netflix? It's not enough stuff on Netflix. Come uh, to us. We've got a never end at four years worth of content or whatever it's been. <laughs> Non-stop. Actually, but only start like a year ago or something. Um, it will be interesting when we listen back to like this episode or like because of what's happening in the world right now this will be like a we will forever have this recording this is like as a like, picture frame yeah it's like this is what was happening when the world was falling apart <laughs> <laughs> and we still took time you know the apocalypse has happened outside the world's on on fire yeah how about yours <laughs> and yet here we are <laughs> here we are still taking time out of our busy schedule to bring entertainment to about 35 to 40 people I know, <laughs> I, know. Uh, I think I think it's important though I think it is important I think it's important there's people like us on the front lines <laughs> you know I because ge- I do I do genuinely think there has to be you have to have an element of uh, entertainment such as films mm. in order to get your head out of this because I think in this epidemic the way it is right now it's really easy to just get sucked into the news yeah. and just be constantly thinking about it and with no with and then that set of sense of dread sort of builds up because i think there's an element of right now every conversation comes back to coronavirus yeah because your normal life has been so impacted yeah that everything that you do is in some way affected by it you know we're not really supposed to like go to the cinema right now like it's advised that you don't go to the cinema and it's like, well, that's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's our thing. That's my identity. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I introduce myself to people. I, um, I go for a handshake. I go, hi, my name's Danny. I go to the cinema all the time. It's like, oh, yeah, I was really excited to uh, like go see Avril Lavigne uh, live in concert in a few weeks. Been cancelled. Oh, I was really buzzing to go on my holiday to Vienna in like a couple of months. Been cancelled. It's like, all, like oh, I, I work in a shop. The shop is kids is consistently ransacked every day, of all your non-perishables and toilet roll. Like, no aspect of your life really is unaffected by it. So it's kind of nice that for the next like hour and a bit, like how I was gonna go hour, but then I was like, well, it's probably probably go a bit longer because <laughs> we've already wasted five minutes <laughs> talking about the coronavirus. I know, but it's nice that we're gonna be able to sit down. And really just talk about something that coronavirus, apart from this little bit here, can't yeah. really creep into this in any way. We're, we're going to quarantine, for lack of a better word, yes. our talk about the coronavirus at the beginning. For the next couple of hours, see I went big there. 
we're going to go somewhere between <laughs> for the next an hour six days, or a For the bit. next 14 days. <laughs> <laughs> this is the second opinion quarantine episode. This is our... 14 best films of the decade. And we're going to spend do, a day. We're going to do a day per film. <laughs> Most films run about two hours. We're going to talk about them for 24 hours. So, in in in, in the 30, 20, 23rd you minute, you'd have to go minute by minute. We'd actually have to watch a minute and then we'd have to like pause it and discuss that minute. Discuss that minute of what's happening. Do you think there must be a podcast out there that is that? Minute by minute? Mm-hmm. Like, there must be a podcast out there somewhere that is like, analyzing one minute of every film and it'll probably be two comedians who live in la who are on the the, the stand-up circuit <laughs> and it'll, be a, it'll be a stupid film won't it? yeah like a film that's not in neither of their wheelhouse and like oh my god wouldn't it be random if we did this film if we just talked minute? about every minute of fucking once upon a time in hollywood i don't know or something funnier oh, <laughs> rambo <that's>, five <laughs> something that's not on your wall <laughs> yeah and in your eyesight. Look, I'm not a very creative person. <laughs> uh, For Ragnarok, that would have been a better suggestion. Uh, I'm going to turn the PlayStation. Because talking about In My Limelight, we have Netflix left on. And David Letterman was staring at Barack Obama and they were both laughing. And I was like, nothing to laugh about right now, boys. It's a very serious world that we're living in when that photo was taken four years ago or whatever. Um... Yeah, so we, we've been talking about doing this episode for, for quite a while, and now we're finally doing it. Yeah. And boy, howdy, is it going to be half arsed? <laughs> because I basically crafted my list about 15 minutes ago. So it's uh, you guys are in for a well-researched <laughs> intellectual debate oh, about I, the films of the last decade. I saw him Google at least four things. And I called them all because I didn't want to ruin for Danny any that were on my list. But I was I, I was talking out loud, and so I just kept saying, "Oh, would that be in there, or would it be that?" And Daddy was like, "Well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of differences between that and that, yeah. <laughs> but there's advantage. There's there's pros and cons to both." Mm. Um, so yeah, we're gonna do what? What is kind of your what? What's gonna be our system here for breaking it down? Well, I, you've put your list in an order of what quality, right? I've put my list in an order where I the I feel represents what we tried to do because i i yeah this is the thing this is the caveat yeah Yeah. i tried to create a list of my top 10 like my definitively top 10 films of the decade and it was actually a really boring list it was just basically films that danny likes Mm. over the last 10 years but i don't even think it's i think it like i said to you if i had done that it would have probably been six or seven horror films Mm. (laughs) and then three of like the undisputably greatest films of the last 10 years you know what i mean so what what i suggested is we go we have our top 10 films but each film has to be a different category a different genre Mm -hmm. um so that way we both at least end up with lists that are a bit more varied a bit more representative different kinds of films of the decade i would say this my list is definitely it's inherently me yeah like i think there's a lot of people and I'm looking at it myself and I'm like, I know that that's a lot of these are probably not, they're not indisputably the best films of the decade at mm-hmm. all, but they are the films, I would say, I've put 10 and then I've put four like runner-up ones. I would say these are the films that in the last 10 years have stuck with me the most Yeah. and I think about the most and I re-watch the most. Although there's actually one on the list that I've only seen once, but I feel so passionately about it that yeah. I decided to, to I've got to one like that there. one I've only seen once but I think about a lot more than I uh, rewatch. Um 
So yeah, I think we'll just we're just gonna go. Fucking, well, if we're you, just gonna jam, man. We're gonna yeah. do some movies. You know what I mean? Not well, if you're deal. going quantity, should we just go ten? What's our both our tens? What's both our nines? What's both our eights? Do we want to really quickly? Did you have some like runner-up kind of stuff? Well, I've got runners-up as I go through. Like as I, you go through, yeah. Like I've, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say, hey, this is my favorite horror film. But then I'll go, I will be like, here's okay. a, here's a couple of horror films that I did actually really, really like and would have considered to be here. Yeah. But... Okay. Well, I think when you do that, I'll just mention like my kind of four that mm. I've got on the back burner. Cool. Four or five. Four. Okay, so do we just start at like number ten and just start working our way down? Uh, yeah, we can do. We can do. What That's was it. your number ten? What was my number ten? Well, for my number ten, I went for a bit family live action though, just to distinguish it from family animation. A film that is mostly here because it hits a really big nostalgia beat for me, Ooh. like a really big nostalgia beat. Ooh. Um, and uh, but but not just that. I also think it it knows it's hitting that nostalgia beat. And really plays with it a way that a lot of franchise films, because we're getting a lot of a lot of films that are like, hey, it's a sequel to a film, that film from thirty years yeah. ago. Um, it's Jumanji, but it's it's not quite Jumanji. It's <laughs> yeah, and I think this one plays with that the most and in a most interesting way, and that is Muppets, the Muppets. Oh, okay. The uh, that I didn't expect that at all. <laughs> I really really like this film. Uh, it's the one with Jason Segel because saying the Muppets does feel really vague. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the one with Jason Segel. Um, the it, one that came out in the last decade. Yeah, well, there was two Muppet films that came yeah, out. Yeah, there's the Muppets Most Wanted. Back, or Most Wanted. I, which I really, which really I never liked. saw. Um, I, it's a shame, because it was a really good caper film. It wasn't as good as the Muppets, but it was a really, really good caper film. Yeah. Um, but it just didn't quite hit the emotional beat. But the... Um, I, I really like... They, they play that, because the Muppets is a strange franchise, because they're, they're kind of celebrities. Mm-hmm. And it is weird that you do see Kermit the Frog just like, pop up and like as a guest star yeah. in random things uh so it's a weird franchise to play with but i think they do it really really well putting them in like this reunion episode and there's mm-hmm. like they really hit emotional beats in it um fucking brett mckenzie was born to like write muppet songs yeah he did he did the soundtrack he thing. did the soundtracks for both the films that came out this year and they well, i mean he won an oscar um for Man or Muppet. Man or Muppet, yeah. which is fucking Which amazing. is a great song. Yeah, yeah, I get that stuck in my head every now and um, then. That, that's another thing. The songs I thought in it are just really, really good. Um, uh, I, I do re-watch this one a lot, and it is up there as one of the best Muppet films. Um, and as I say, it hits a huge nostalgia beat for me, but I think it as it plays with that nostalgia beat. It, it I didn't knows know you were like a, a Muppet boy. I, I loved... I as a kid, I didn't watch the show, but I watched a lot of the movies over and over again. I have a big nostalgia for Muppets Treasure Island, which I think is a really, really underrated one. Have you seen Muppets Treasure Island? Yes, but I wouldn't be able to tell you anything. I think it's worth re-watching, because fucking, it's got Tim Curry as Long John Silver. Brilliant. And he's actually fucking amazing. <laughs> and it's got some brilliant songs. Ah, Muppets Treasure No one talks about that as one of the best Muppet films. Yeah. It really is. Um, so yeah, I I I liked that. I, I there was some few that one of I think the best franchises for like family this year was Paddington. Mm-hmm. That was just such a Paddington lovely, was charming series. Tremendous, yeah. yeah. That's one of those franchises I feel like has no right to be as good as it is. No, but they both the films. I can't even tell you which one I prefer because, or, or I just yeah. remember this long fuzzy feeling of <clears throat> both of them. <clears throat> I do remember that the. Um... The second one has a lot of sinister undertones when you start to question why all those people are in jail. All these nice, happy, friendly prisoners. Like, yeah, but what did they do? Yeah. What did they do? 
kids film so you can't go into it but <laughs> um yeah no the muppets I, I i love that muppet movie that was 2011 yeah right? so it yeah. only just peaks in there. yeah 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 no i was a big fan of that when it came out and i feel like i've not thought about it in such a long time but i think it's because the muppets is not really something that i was ever i was ever really all that into hmm. so i think when i really liked that muppet movie i feel like i do remember thinking like, I don't know if this is indicative of the other Muppets. I just, I know I like this Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if this is, maybe to a hardcore Muppet fan, this is shit. But as someone who liked the Muppets, I guess, yeah. pointing at you. Well, it's um, <laughs> uh, it's that emotional one with um, pictures in my head where Kermit's mm. going around and he's reminiscing about the good old days of being in the Muppets and... He's got he's like in this big mansion and he's surrounded by pictures that are covered up by curtains because he doesn't want to face his memories. And with the weight of like that as being a Muppets yeah. um, fan as a kid, that is actually a really emotional scene. Yeah. In fact, it's probably the one that should have won the Oscar as it being the more emotional song. Yeah, but but Man of Muppet. Yeah, but Man of Muppet had Sheldon in it. <laughs> had Sheldon from Big Bang. Yeah, had Sheldon from Big Bang Theory, and you put him in it. Ooh, that was a guaranteed good joke. guaranteed Oscar. <laughs> Um, that's cool. That is, I feel like that's a very Danny choice. Thank you. Um, I like now. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like that is that is that is inherently you. Oh, <laughs> the Buffett movie. Um, my number ten is the one that I've only seen once. Right. Uh, and I saw it very recently. Uh, <laughs> and it is. I saw it back in November, and it's kind of just been on my mind ever since. And I think this is because. I went on a huge binge of Miyazaki's okay. films. Okay. Um, and I think because of that, he has kind of just been on my mind, like, pretty much since about last summer, really. Uh, and I'm still slowly working my way through them. I only just recently watched Princess Mononoke. Um, but uh, I, The Wind Rises. Okay, I've not seen The Wind Rises. I think his only film to come out in the, within that decade, I think it was 2013, um... It was meant to be his last film. This was meant to be his swan song. He is now coming out with a new film. Apparently in 2020, although fucking God knows if that's going to happen now. <laughs> Excuse me, that's quarantine to yes. <laughs> You're one of these people that are leaking. Um, yeah, he, he, he has come out of retirement uh, to do a new film. But yeah, The Wind Rises was meant to be his last film. And what I always found really interesting about it was... Miyazaki up to that point all of his films are in some way involve magic or they involve you know some kind of connection to spirits or spiritual worlds and he creates these like fantastical places that feel so lived in and you know like Howl's Moving Castle and Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke like he creates these worlds that feel like they exist out with the film um, and I always thought that the interesting thing about Wind Rises is that Wind Rises isn't that. Like, Wind Rises is a straight-up drama about a Japanese man who designs fighter planes for World War II. It's, like, loosely based off of a, a, a real person. Um, but it's it's just a straight-up human drama. There's no mystical element. There's some dream sequences, and that's that's about as, as whimsical as you get. And I found it incredible that he was still able to create something so moving without the use of you know that kind of out there worlds that he creates um 
and it's a film that I really think looks at like like I think I, I, watching Miyazaki's films and learning a lot about him and I've been I'm reading a book about Miyazaki and stuff I'm just I'm all about that boy he's a good boy it's a very Scott choice to have picked a film that's like out of his own comfort zone <laughs> like it's like he's known for all these weird bizarre designs and strange worlds and you've got no I like the film well yeah I mean I guess it's, as you say it's, it's the, the one it's the, decade, the one but... it's the one of his films that I picked up on Blu-ray because I just felt like I don't know I just felt so kind of strongly about it now they're all on fucking Netflix so <laughs> waste of 15 pound that was <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the, 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 he, like, I've kind of learned a lot about him in the last year, just reading different things about him. And he's definitely a man who is very married to his craft and his craft is his life. And it sounds like because of that, like some of his family life has suffered a little bit. Like, I think he has quite a complicated relationship with his son and things like that. And I think that like the wind rises almost feels like the film that's most about him because it is again it is about a man who is married to his craft and the the big kind of complexity that comes from the wind rises is that he is a man who he this 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 character sees beauty in the planes he's designing but these planes are being made to kill people like that is that is what they are designed for okay um and it's really interesting to see him yeah just 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 kind of examine that and um he has that kind of thing where with like the family dynamic and how his other relationship his relationships can kind of suffer because of his love of this craft and stuff and i think it's a really beautiful film and i love it a whole bunch uh and i've only seen it once and i have thought about it every day <laughs> that's beautiful um because i really do i really do think it's outstanding like all his films like i think if that was what he ended on i'd be like yeah perfect it's like the perfect ending but he's coming out with something which i think sounds more his usual sort of foray okay uh but yeah so that's my number 10 wind rises baby boy good what you got for me what you hitting me with number 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 nine well i do have another animated film in my runner-up list well go on put it in your runner-up list just real quick because we don't have to go into this for long but i put spider-man into the spider-verse but you know what that's actually my number nine. Is that on your? Is so that your number you, nine? That is my Shit. number nine. Um, that my, was not planned at all. That was not planned. <laughs> so do you know what? We don't even we we can we we don't even have to rush it, pal. So number nine is uh, my category was it, my best superhero film. And yeah, I I this because I I have got a best animated film later, um, which might be confused, but like I think the and that animated films are better. Uh, uh, more favorite to me but so spider-verse um because i was thinking about my favorite superhero film and i did think i thought of logan i think yeah logan would maybe still be mine yeah and i think of guardians of the galaxy too but then at the same well yeah no i guess it wouldn't i guess this would be because i didn't put logan anywhere on this list like runners or anything so um but i think in the end uh into the spider-verse to me is everything great about superhero films yeah. in one place yeah it's the drama it's the comedy it's the wacky concepts um i just and it's all mixed up into this one thing that really shouldn't work yeah you shouldn't have such a high concept um idea that mixed, was so sell that they managed to sell to the masses yeah <laughs> that mixed with like the grounded elements like yeah. they never lost track of its characters despite um despite like how goofy and mm-hmm. silly this film is because i know that so I know that like multiverse 
stuff has a big play in the spider-man comics doesn't it and the spider-man kind of mythos there's a lot of delving into other worlds and well that is comic books in general yeah. but that's the thing comic books have been going so long and they've they they've had all this scope because they don't have any like budget constraints in terms of stories yeah. and they're able to explore all these mental ideas and that's really what comics is like the most ridiculous ideas all mixed up together and you've got vampires and robots and you've just mixed them into yeah. one place and uh, spider-verse takes that and really does like m- shows you that all mixed up and makes it fun and makes it work and still makes it about miles morales like and his interaction with his uncle yeah. and his dad and that is the that's the best aspect of that film is that it juggles so many different kind of uh i guess like genres or yeah yeah and it does it so seamlessly it does it if it's no fucking problem whatsoever like it just flips from straight up action movie to straight up comedy to straight up drama just the click of the fingers and it just it just makes it look it makes it look seamless yeah. it makes it look fucking easy yeah uh, and it's an incredible film to watch i also i just love the designs of all the characters and yep. i love that they do and i know this has probably been done in the comics but like i don't re- i haven't really read any spider-man comics but like i love that they do the green goblin as a giant goblin yeah. bat creature which is something i'd never seen before i love the design of kingpin which is such a simple design yeah bit like i love it i love that he's just this big big round shape with the tiny little head that's like halfway down where <laughs> it should be on his body and all that kind of stuff yeah um i love spider ham i think he's fucking good. hilarious yeah spider-man noir spider-man noir which is like the perfect casting yeah uh because Nicolas Cage is always perfectly cast and he's <laughs> fucking it's so weird he's such a strange actor but he's always like when people just figure out how to use him right he's always like perfect the most Nicolas Cage story I've ever heard is when a fan ran into him in the Vatican and that was just after he'd been nominated for uh, no he'd won the Golden Globe I think for uh, L- um, Spider-Man Noir uh-huh. uh, and he didn't know this fan told him Brilliant. this fan who ran into him Whoa. in the Vatican <laughs> was the one who broke the news to him that he'd won a golden globe. That's fucking crazy. Um, yeah, no, that's that's yeah. that's a stunning. And I, I did, I because I, I guess the franchise of the decade has to be the Marvel one. Like, yeah, that's the most consistent, the one that's been de- delivering like and has stayed consistent. Well. I think there is a lot of mediocre films in There's that franchise. There's a lot franchise. of mediocre ones, but it's it's never it's never bad. It's yeah. never terrible. It it's never always, dips yeah. really really bad into quality. So it is the franchise like it is the franchise of the decade. Uh, and I did like like I loved all the big crossover ones, Avengers, Infinity War, Civil War, and stuff like that. And Guardians of the Galaxy two that ending really does hit me emotionally. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really appreciated that. And I can that was kind of getting close because it's not only does it have the emotional beat. But it also has like the comic book uh, element of like space stuff and a planet with a face on it and stuff like that. So it was very, very close. But I think Into the Spider Verse was like, yeah, yeah, this is everything I like in superhero films. It is brilliant. Truly a wonderful time at the pictures. Um, my, What's your number nine, Scott? My number nine is uh, it's about a man. man. It's about a man just trying sure to, just, a who just wants to play his music to the world. And he wants everyone to hear it, but he's having a bad time doing it. Because he's kind of a he's kind of a dick. He's kind of a shitty dude. My number nine is is Inside Lewin Davis, oh, baby. Oh man, this was so close mm. to being on my list. It isn't on my list, but it was so close. <clears throat> it's <laughs> there's such a weird thing where like that film is obviously, you know, it is quite depressing. Yeah. <laughs> like when you when you think about it. Well, you don't have to think about it too hard, but like it is a very depressing film. 
but that film really has become there's something about the vibe of it that it's almost for me become like a christmas movie i think there's something to do with just the, the setting and things like that i just find like i just always find myself putting on in winter okay uh which i don't know which has nothing i don't know it's 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 a weird one but it's just become like it's become one of my few kind of film traditions is like almost every christmas like every winter time i'll just watch inside Lewin davis um yeah i fucking i love this movie so it's definitely i think much. it's definitely the coen brothers best film this decade yeah i would say it's my favorite coen brothers film yeah. like as much as i love <clears throat> so much stuff that they've done i think big lebowski's brilliant and yeah no country for all men no country for all men i always i was kind of stand by is like that is a film where every aspect of it is working at 100 percent. there's not like a fucking there's not not a single moment out of place in no country for all men but i think inside lewin davis just just appeals more to me because like i said this is my top movies of the decade it's like it's going to be personal um i love it i love it just as a look at just this guy who 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 if he you know if he just broke out of this vicious cycle that he's in of just kind of being a piece of shit to people like he might find it and just making terrible decisions he might find it easier to get get by in the world but he's just kind of doomed to just repeat this life that he's 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 kind of trapped in Mm. almost and i love i love like looking at that and i just love love the setting uh that kind of like the 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 rise of folk music that was happening at that time and like right before bob dylan was about to blow up and things like that like just that point in time just seems like such a a fascinating time to look at was again always old never new yeah folk music always old never yeah new. um it's got hot boy justin timberlake in it who i'm a oh i'm a big fan of baby <laughs> um who's not in it much but you know I think he's great and it's like one of Adam Driver it's kind of one of the first times I ever really remember yeah, watching yeah, Adam yeah. Driver in a film yeah or being like aware of who he was um I just think they use everybody perfectly um and it's such an odd film because there's there's not like a whole lot of plot to it yeah. like I remember reading an interview with them and they said they put they put the plot point where he he's looking after the cat they put that in the film because they were like if we didn't put that in there'd be no plot <laughs> like this movie would just meander so we just put this overarching thing where he's looking after the cat you know for the week um, but yeah I just think it's brilliant genuinely that I think that is my number 11 it was so close to being on this list so close and yet yeah. so far away Danny we are very alike in our taste in movies I feel like I feel like we disagree on stuff a lot of the time sometimes but <laughs> then we do things like this and I'm like no yeah we, we pretty much like yeah we're in sync or maybe we won't be because we got more movies to talk about yeah we're, we're only in the the first couple my my number one film of the the decade is netflix's love is blind <laughs> the series yeah the series i see what a fucking time that was that's better than any movie on my top 10 list let me tell you i was so engrossed when in the reunion episode when amber fucking went for jessica oof that's that's juicy what right does amber have eh Oh, she had a lot of right. Let me tell you, Jessica was a bitch. She was way out of line, that whole show. <laughs> anyway. I mean, I don't know if you need an edit point. You could just include that. I'm including that. Yeah, that's, that's good. Part of the Go fucking, for it. Yeah, it's part of the... People have a right, people have a right to know my opinions on exactly. what so, <laughs> so, number eight is my horror film of the decade. Ooh. See, I'm not a horror person. We've, this has been well established in the, uh-huh. the pod, podcast. 
but I have appreciated a horror film from time, from time to, time. to time. Yeah, I've seen one. I've picked up and I've given it a, a hearty nod. Tell me your um. Tell me your horror. My film. my top horror film of this decade was Babadook. Yeah, that was um that is not on my list, but that was close. I basically was fucking had like four horror movies like fighting for the place on this list i like uh whenever i do end up getting captivated by a horror film it tends to be one with some sort of emotional core in it mm-hmm. and i love that babadook is a really good sort of horror film about a monster in the house and there's all of that paranoia and stuff but i also love that it is about a mother who's struggling to deal with her child yeah. and that that emotional weight of that drama uh, is like has as much weight and is also connected um to the weight of the monster uh and yeah and it's also gothic and it's cool and i i've always seen babadook duke even yeah. enough think i'm not even thinking about the film any boot that film anymore i'm just saying babadook duke. yeah i think it's because there's something so there's something so real about that aspect that you were talking about about the mother struggling to raise the child like you do feel so much for her and the boy as well because the boy you know it's not that the you know the boy can't like help yeah his behavior and things like that um and you, but you do feel for her a lot and there's scenes where you that you really like that's where the true horror comes into it because you're like well anyone can be in that situation you know very few people are going to get chased around their house by scary ghosts but you know hundreds of people thousands of people will be in this situation where they are struggling to raise yeah. like a difficult child and like i think that's yeah kind of what makes it so i think because you you know you've seen it you've seen like a kid like overreacting yeah in a, in a shop and you you know you see the parent like trying to figure out how to calm them down like yeah uh it's so kind of like yeah everyone's like experienced that in some in some capacity or you've been that shitty kid or like you know what i mean um, I really like it, and it has. I one think of that's the, where like yeah, the other real horror in that film comes from. Yeah, it has yeah. one of the the still creeps me out scares of all time, of when she's classic. We've I think we've even talked about it on podcast where she's watching the news early in the morning, yes. and there's a murder investigation on the news, and then when you look into the back of uh, the building in the background and in the window, you see the actual mother looking right yeah. back at the camera, smiling, and fucking still gives me the creeps. Yeah, anytime that film is mentioned, that's the first thing I think. Yeah. Of. Is, is I, I love it because she is she's in the the actress is in the shot the whole time staring right at you but you don't notice it mm. until like the character notices it oh, yeah. oh that yeah, gives me creeps but even just that i love the design of the babadook because that's just a yeah a creature that they came up with on their own and um but it doesn't sound like it sounds like it would be a legitimate urban myth or yeah, a, yeah or yeah. A, a children's fairy tale or something because well, that child that that book is so well crafted like yeah. i love a copy of that book I'd, I'd kill for a copy of that book that must be a thing you must yeah, be able to get a copy of the babadook yeah um yeah no that's a fucking that's a banner choice my friend thank you very i much. just i think with the babadook i haven't seen it in so long that aside from that those kind of couple of things that we mentioned like i do struggle to kind of remember things about it i do remember there's a scene where she like peels apart a wall and cockroaches fall out Ooh, that's a bad time that is a bad time mm. um i uh, I did like It Follows. That was the other one that kind of creeped me yeah, out a bit. Yeah, It Follows. Um, I think It Follows lacked the emotional core that like Babadook had, and that's why yeah. Babadook sort of won out for it me. It Follows, I think, I think uh, works better 
because it's got it's got more of a more of a fucking vibe if you know what I mean like it's got that more kind of style of like it's so fucking neon and, re- and like retro and like oh my god is that like a Game Boy that they've got and, you know <laughs> is it like a Game it's got Boy more of that kind of thing like uh, as opposed to Babadook which I think goes more for yeah. the the family angle and the the human drama angle of it and also has a scary ghost in it. He's a good scary ghost. He has a good scary ghost. He has a top hat. Top hats are fun. I know. It's so weird <laughs> that he has a top hat. That's two top hats. That he, did you see Dr. Sleep? Have you seen Dr. Sleep yet? No, I haven't. Dr. Rose Sleep, the hat. Okay. She wears a top hat. Why? Yeah. Yeah. It's creepy. Because <laughs> otherwise, why would they call her Rose the hat? She's inspired by the Babadook. Well, yeah. What would they have called her? Just Rose? <laughs> That's a stupid Rose name. the? <laughs> <laughs> um, sweet. Well, my, uh, my bloody... My bloody uh, number eight was also a horror film. Oh, uh, and it Ooh. was the 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 Vavitch. Oh, the, the witch. witch. <laughs> um, it's uh, I I I already feel like the lighthouse is will probably be my favorite film of the year this year. Crikey, that's a big call. I feel that confident so early about on. it. I mean, and... you're pro- probably thinking that because there will be no other films that are coming out. Well, exactly, year. nothing else is coming out this year. There's plenty of time to die now, so we got till November. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I kind of feel like so strongly about that film and uh, Roger Eggers. Is it Robert Eggers? Eggers, the Eggster, Edgers, Eggman. Ah, Is it Doctor Eggman? Doctor Eggman. I feel so confident about Doctor Eggman and his directing that I just can't. And and Lighthouse is like so so a me film i guess that yeah i can't really imagine like anything else taking over but like i could see that being my favorite film this year and one of my favorite films of the decade unless this decade is fucking stellar um <laughs> but yeah the witch is such like an insane first film like for for a director the amount of time that he spent researching like old english folklore about witches and things like that is like it makes the film so much more it just makes the film almost like so much more horrific because it's it's grounded in like these genuine beliefs that people had um and i just think i think the fact that he spends so much time like getting the feel of the time period right and having them talk in old english like of the period and things like that all just make for this like just incredibly like real horror experience that i don't feel like a lot of our horror films are able to kind of reach that level um i think and i think it's it's fascinating that like with the witch like you you could do the thing you could do the thing where it's like you you spend the whole movie you never see the witch and you the whole you know you come out of that film and you go oh well was there really a witch or were were they the witch did they just tear each other apart but he right from the get go is like no there's a witch here she is like they are genuinely being haunted by something now watch that like that idea just tear this family apart um and yeah i i i I love it. I mean, I love every movie on this list. That's. I feel like it's always going to come down to where I'm just going to be like, yeah, I love it. Like, um, yeah, I just, I just think putting in that much kind of time and research 
into what your film is about just makes for a much better experience Mm -hmm. and i think that film is kind of scarier than like any other horror movie that's came out in the last 10 years because of that i think it's a better film for it um yeah I don't know if you've like if you like the I've, Witcher. I've not seen the you Witch. Still not seen the fucking no. Witch, my guy, my guy. It's got Kate Dickey in it, and she comes into my shop all the time, but she always wears headphones, oh. and so I never get to say hello because she's oh. always got big headphones on. One time she didn't, but she was with her child, and I was like, "Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. You're with your kid. You're, yeah. you're doing a thing." But I want to meet Kate Dickey. I mean, I have met her. I met her before she was in the Witch, though. Before she was cool, <laughs> when she was just in I Game know, of you, Thrones, you the most popular the TV show of all time. <laughs> yeah, well, before she was cool. <laughs> uh, uh, I guess other one other fi- horror film worth mentioning is Cabin in the Woods that came out this year, uh, this decade. This sorry. decade, okay. Uh, uh, well, yeah, that's like that. That's like uh, I guess the the, the the ultimate parody yeah, of, the, so, of the horror um, film. Give a shout out for that because I really enjoyed Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, no, I love Cabin in the Woods. I I'm such a su- I know I get that Cabin in the Woods is like a, a breakdown of that kind of classic Cabin in the Woods structure, but like I'm such a sucker for Cabin in the Woods stuff. Like I'm such a sucker. If your horror movie is like set in in the woods and it's just a bunch of kids going out to do some shit, or your a horror game murdering them, uh, or a horror game, like I'm just like yeah, this is I'm like I love this. Like I love like the Friday the Thirteenth movies and all that kind of shit. Like I'm all about it. Um, yeah, no, Cabin in the Woods is 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 brilliant. Um, I haven't thought about it in such a long time. It was quite early this decade. That was technically meant to come out like last decade because yeah. I think it was shot in like two thousand nine and then didn't come out. Until yeah, it got really really delayed. Um, I also had I had Hereditary. Hereditary was like very close because again that's the same as the Witch. It's a first time director they come out with that as their first film have you seen hereditary yet i still haven't seen hereditary in terms of like talking about the family drama in the babadook hereditary is another one that really pushes that okay family drama stuff is kind of what drives that's that's the first thing that anyone's ever said that's actually sold me on hereditary hereditary ari aster and he does this in midsummer as well manages to get such intensely emotional performances out of the actors there's a there's two scenes in there's a scene in both movies in midsummer and hereditary where the main character is crying over the death of someone and it's it's the furthest i don't know how to describe it other than it's the furthest from film crying i've ever heard like if you've ever heard someone in like genuine genuine uncontrollable emotional pain he is somehow i don't know what the fuck he tells them to think about but he like gets that out of them and it is that in itself is like sometimes scarier than anything that happens in the film um i would say if you if you like babadook like i think you would love hereditary hereditary is and it is also terrifying i've seen it twice and even the second time when i knew all the things that were coming it's still like crikey just you are hyperventilating by the end of it it's it's a fucking experience it's a ride <laughs> so i would strongly recommend 100 out of 10 love it fair <laughs> enough um what is your number seven well, number, s- number seven yeah yeah number seven uh this is my animated film of the decade i went for a few and i really wasn't sure but i think i think the initial feeling the first time i watched this i think being surprised by it i wasn't expecting that much from this animated film and be surprised by 
how beautiful it was how just lovely and simplistic yet really really kind of like deep story uh-huh. it had um that i really really fucking love and the music i thought was beautiful as well song of the sea oh really my god liked. yeah yeah i haven't thought about that in a long time again that's a very danny choice <laughs> i've i've i still i've watched it like a couple of times since it's come out and i still really really love it Mm-hmm. Um, they they came out the same studio came out with another film either last year or the year the before Breadwinner yeah. which I did really really like Breadwinner has that really cool uh, idea of like taking this horrific thing that was happening uh, in Afghanistan that's going to probably prove my ignorance by saying <laughs> the exact wrong country uh, but pe- making it from a child's perspective and making it somehow still a kid's film mm-hmm. uh, I really found that like really really good but um, take the song of the sea I think really handles depression like it really like tackles the issue of depression in a way that doesn't stray far from being a kid's film and I think that is really interesting plus it's like Celtic mythology uh, especially uh, specifically Irish um, Celtic mythology and I don't think that's portrayed too much in films and it was just beautiful to see all these uh-huh. different sort of Irish mythology things and I really, really enjoyed that and the fucking music is fucking beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I wish I could I wish I could talk to you about it, but I the most I remember is the soundtrack, which mm. is by L- Lisa Hannigan, Hannigan who yes. I've seen live. Have you? In Ireland. Ireland. In the fucking pouring rain. <laughs> it was a great gig, but it rained a whole lot. As, as is want to do. Bad t- it ruined my hat. I had a very oh. nice flat cap that I brought with me because I was like, Ireland. And it ruined it. The rain ruined You'd it. You'd suit a flat cap. I did. Yeah. <laughs> you I could did. buy another one, but the moment's nah, gone. My hair's grown in now. Like, it just, it, look, it looks silly with the long hair. Uh, there was an, uh, another animated film I thought worth. Um, it's not really a kid's one. Um, Love and Vincent saw that this oh, decade. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw, we saw that together. Yeah. It's... Um, uh, it, it's a uh, film about a guy who's investigating the the death of Vincent mm-hmm. um, Van Gogh, and like, it's all if you haven't seen it, it's all beautifully done as like Van Gogh paintings, and it is really stunning. But I also think that that does a really good job of like making the film interesting and a story that you actually that actually do get captivated with and a mystery mm-hmm. that's like unlocked. So I think that's a really good animated film as well. Yeah. I, I, I said my animated film it was it was Spider-Verse I don't think I have another one that's fair enough um, it's surprising that I didn't have too many Pixar because um, there's a lot of Pixar no, well, they're, they're, mediocre Pixar, sequels Pixar don't deliver on the, the there's not that same guarantee of quality that no. there was in the last decade I will say in, what was was Up 2009 yeah I think Up didn't uh, I didn't write Up down so it must have not qualified <laughs> you didn't write Up down <laughs> I didn't left it down either. Roll the music. We're right here. <laughs> oh, we, we've peaked. Yeah. Uh, they. I really, really like Coco. I really like that. Such a. Mm. It was a really good way. Uh, it's not a film I've really thought about much since. No. Since I always I think it. about the ending. I think I think about the ending more than anything, and the fact that it really does tackle like, like a character suffering with Alzheimer's. Yeah. And that's a really dark element for a kids' film. And I really like Inside Out. I think that's already that's like yeah. the most Pixar Again, film. Again, not not thought about it much since I, I saw it. I think that's the most Pixar film that came out this decade. Like original yeah. concept, there's a lot of fun, and they really go some emotional places in it. And, it and really then they works. kill a character that you like. Yeah, and, and you cry, <laughs> you get sad, <laughs> and you cry, and you question your life, and you say everything in short, bold short, statements. Bold statements is how I love to talk. 
Uh, also, How to Train Your Dragon was this decade, which I was blown all away three by. three of them? Yeah. Wow. I loved the third one. I loved all the How to Train Your yeah. Dragon movies. Well, I've only seen the first two, but I really loved it. Really third one's my... great. Third one brought the, the house. One. Brought the fucking house to tears, man. Not my house. <laughs> Someone else's house. You were listening through the walls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly you had a glass it. against the wall and you're like, Katie, listen. listen. They're really, really emotional. They're crying. <laughs> I would train your dragon three. <laughs> Katie's like, yeah, that's relatable. I get it. Because Katie cried. She cried a whole lot at the end Aww. of I train your dragon three. It has a sad ending. I, I, I need to watch it. It's great. I do need to watch it. I was meant it's to great. watch You'd it. You'd love it. The animation is uh, outstanding. What's your film number seven, Mr. Scott Morrison? Uh, it's definitely not uh, on par with Song of the Sea. <laughs> it's uh, it's I went I went with I went with the Master. Oh, I did see the Master as like upon my research. Now I know I know Paul Thomas Anderson put out a couple of movies in the last decade, Inherent Vice, which we saw, and <laughs> uh, famously the Mass Walkouts. Uh, Phantom Thread was this this decade. I really liked Phantom Thread. If I, I really was... liked, but I need to go back and rewatch it because I always stand by that. I think we saw that on a weird night. I think we. I went for a couple of drinks with friend of the podcast Michael Kelly, Hi, Michael and we Kelly. kind of decided to go see it like a few pints deep. And it's not a few pints deep movie. No. And I think I remember watching the film going, "This is good," but I do wish I was more pints. Because deep. I think <laughs> more pints deep. More pints deep. No, not watching the movie. Like I wanted to just be having more pints. I didn't want to be watching the film. I don't think I'm drunk enough to appreciate this Paul yeah. Thomas Anderson movie. Uh, it is a slow burner, Phantom Fred. Mm. And I, I did consider putting. I if I I must admit I uh, I connected a lot more with Phantom Fred than I did with the Master. If I was to have my Paul Thomas Anderson film of the decade, I'd have personally picked Phantom Fred. Yeah. Um. Not Inherent Vice. Not inherent because we didn't walk out. We sat through that whole. No, we sat movie. through it. Although I couldn't tell you a thing that happened. In no, it. I remember he talks to Owen Wilson at one point, and the only reason I remember that is because that was the moment where everyone started leaving. Like that was when the mass walkout happened. Is yeah. when he's talking to to Owen Wilson. But we're not here talking about inherent vice. One part of third. Fuck those movies. <laughs> garbage. No, they're not garbage. They're good. Uh, well, inherent vice was good, but um, yeah, the master. The master, I think, is one of those films that has become more relevant because. You know, at the time it came out, it was so clearly a commentary on Scientology. That's libus. I mean, I'm allowed to say it. <laughs> what, they're going to fucking come after me? Bring it. <laughs> You're not allowed to fly to my country right now. So. <laughs> they've got they've got, office they got in a base Edinburgh. in Britain? They've got in Edinburgh. Office in Edinburgh. I, I've walked past on the street of Edinburgh and I saw a free personality test. And I was like, yeah, that's a... I didn't know they had one here. Yeah, they have one in Edinburgh. Oh, you can no, take a free personality. Now you've got me nervous. That helicopter <laughs> outside is them. <laughs> um, okay, well, it, it was so clearly a fucking commentary on Scientology. And, um, you know, the, the, on the, the methods that they were using and stuff. I almost feel like, you know, now. Right. Today. I almost feel like it, it, it could also, if it was made now, I feel like it would be more a commentary on, like, our current world leaders trumpism because they are you know just these kind of showmen yeah who can just make things up on the spot and tell you blatant lies and people go along with it um and i think yeah i think it's a film that feels more relevant now even though at the time it was kind of a commentary on something else entirely um 
but yeah i i i, I really kind of love it because of that um i also just think it's philip seymour hoffman's greatest performance personally mm-hmm. um i think he's absolutely incredible in it there's the scene between him and joaquin phoenix the processing scene which i think might just be my favorite acting of the decade like i think that's my favorite scene wow of acting is those two characters acting off one another because you get so wrapped up in the in the tension of that conversation that you yourself kind of almost feel what wacky face is feeling like you feel like you're you're going through this with these two men and i think that's incredible for two people just sat in a room talking i think that's like an incredible like visceral reaction to get out of an audience um yeah i i i i just i think it's a beautiful film um and like i said i think it's i think it's kind of more relevant than than ever um and i feel like you can't have a fucking films of the decade list without putting paul thomas anderson on there somewhere like it's a fucking he's a good man a chef's kiss she's a chef's kiss um yeah it's one i haven't seen in a long time though i really i've not seen it in a long time i do need to go back and rewatch it but again it's a film that like all this time has completely stuck with me um and i do think it's because of the kind of political landscape now makes me think about it more than than ever these kind of in my opinion fucking snake oil salesmen that are running the two most you know two of the most powerful countries in the world like and people who will just f- blindly follow them no matter what lies they are sold um yeah and like i said i think it's fascinating to look at it like that when that's that's kind of not what it was ab- about initially but yeah that's my hot take <laughs> um what is your number what are we on now six six bloody rattling through these mate six is... I mean, no, we're not. We've been talk- well no we are yeah we've been talking yeah we're doing four minutes we're doing all right Six is my comedy of the decade. A comedy? A comedy. Tell me your comedy. Um, it is Hunt for the Wilder People, um, which I really, really like. Uh, he's points, points to poster. poster. <laughs> points to poster. Good podcast. Is it the poster that makes you jealous every time you're in? Oh, here? yeah. But no, it's the poster I'm getting when you die. Yeah, I'm, it's the one thing I'm going to leave yeah. to anyone in my will. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of it gets buried with me in an undisclosed location. <laughs> but I get the hunt for the world of people As is my dying wish. <laughs> uh, I love this film. Uh, I, I, It still remains Takawatiti's best film. I think it's mostly I mostly because I really love Takawatiti as a person. I feel this film is most him as a person. Yeah. Um, and again, kind of like in horror where... Uh, as much as like all these horror films, but what I ended up looking for in an emotional core, it's the same with Hunt for the Wilder People. It's a film that really makes me laugh, but at, at the end of it, there is an emotional core between yeah. two characters. But it almost it never it never really sacrifices its. I feel like there's a lot there's a lot of comedies who they do the comedy and then they do the serious bit, hmm. but I feel like Hunt for the Wilder People never sacrifices its sense of tone to deliver the emotional beats yeah like it always stays in that like very taika watiti <laughs> level which is always effortless his comedy yeah. always feels quite it's like it's just naturally funny yeah well i think he is just naturally yeah funny. You, you watch interviews with him and it's like that how is that dude's brain fucking working that fast yeah like, you don't feel like how is he that turned on all the time like, <laughs> it's weird he's almost like he never writes a joke it's just it's just him speaking yeah. and it's inherently funny uh, I loved Hunt for the Wild People. Um, there were so many comedies that I did love. Like I was going through. I think a, a more classic comedy. I thought the better, more sort of classic. What you would think of when you think of Anchorman it's the new 2. comedy movie. 
Uh, yeah, and how did you know? Did you know? <laughs> That's my number one on my list. <laughs> 21 Jump That's Street. That's one through four. <laughs> one through four is <laughs> Anchorman 2. Uh, 21 Jump Street, I think, is your um, more kind of typical comedy. Yeah. Uh, that I remember that one catching me off guard. I went to see it and I wasn't really expecting much from it. I don't think anyone did. But that's no. their whole shtick. Yeah. Phil Lord and Chris Miller is like, you take really... something that should be shit and make it really good. Uh, and I remember seeing 22 Jump Street and really thinking, well, I mean, the first one was so good and I doubt they're going to do anything great with a sequel and it turned out to be really good yeah. as well. Uh, here's a film that I, I really liked at the time and haven't thought of it as much anymore. Frank. I, yeah. I really I... like it. That's quite a, a com- comedic film. And, yeah. Um, I, love- I often think about that one because I I agree with you. It's 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 a film that I really did consider one of my favorites for the longest time, and it's written by my favorite author. Um, and it's kind of about an experience that John Ronson had. Hmm. Um, it, it's so the humor and the kind of tone of it is so up my street. But I I haven't thought about it in like a long time, and I haven't seen it in a really no. long time either. Yeah. But I do still think it's a really good comedy and it's yeah. a really good film and. Um, it's a really bizarre film as well. It's very, mm. it's very quirky indie film. Um, but I, I don't think it ever like that's a sacrifice for it. Like it just really yeah. is its own monster. Uh, and another one would be Me Earl and the Dying Girl. Me Earl and the Dying Girl is in my runner-up. Oh, list. yes. So there you go. I really that, like that is one. a film that really has not stuck with people. No, I don't but think, it stuck with us. for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder if that is something to do with... I always found that the reason I related to it the most was because at the time that it came out, I really, really related to Greg. The main character. The main character. Yeah. I remember really relating to that him and that whole kind of like anxiety of that you're not really good enough to do anything and that everything you are doing is kind of not really worth anything and why are you bothering? And like I did, like I used to think a lot like that, like back in, in, in kind of like the early days of uni when, you know, being creative was what we did all the time. And, you know, uh, and I, I like I, I found it really affecting the first time I saw it, not so much because of the main plot line, which is, you know, the situation with the dying girl um like i always found it really kind of emotionally impactful because i found him and the things he was going through so relatable that thing of like your brain just kind of being at war with itself and convincing you that like you're shit and that nothing you do is worthwhile and like yeah i i i still i don't feel like that now as much but i think because it i related to it so much of the time it sticks with me so so much um yeah why do you love it <laughs> i i love it um I, I, yeah i mean it i do get that like the the anxiety of um the greg goes through and the, uh his inability to fit in and i love that weird sort of he, he like it really is taking that the the, the central joke of Mio and the dying girl is that he has to um try and befriend re-befriend yeah uh, a girl who has cancer in his class that his mother's forcing him to do uh, and it's not the hero he's not the hero heroic sort of type who's try who tries to do it and it's not really what the film's about it's not really a fault in our mm. stars it's almost the anti-fault in our stars because yeah. the 
it's almost the joke is that he's just not doing it well. He, the film should be about how they triumph and yeah. they they learn stuff about each other. And but it, it it's it's really very little to do with the dying yeah. girl. She's almost a, a side plot, um, which is such a big thing to be in the side plot, like yeah. somebody dying. I and so I think it, it works well that. because it, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't end up like leaning into like a romantic relationship yeah. between the two of them no it doesn't at all which, which i think would be easy to do but it's you know they keep they, they keep them just straight up friends and they're all friends and it's just boys supporting boys and it's like yeah i just think it's better to to, to look at something like that instead of oh and then they fall in love and he's emotional because she's gonna die and won't that be sad and no it's like it's sad because he's trying to be a supportive friend and he you know for a lot of it, he kind of does a shitty job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, and he and I think he's very conscious of that as a character. Like that's why he doesn't want to go and re-befriend her because like he doesn't feel he'd be much support anyway. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really really good. Uh, Nick Offerman's also good in it. Um, There's an incredible uh, argument scene, which is all done in one take, and it is a testament to how good those two young actors are because they hold that that sort of five seven minute long argument, and it gets very emotional because she's telling him that she doesn't want to live anymore and it's it's crazy how well they managed to yeah to to to, to deliver that performance or those performances yeah no i i it always makes me sad that people don't talk about that movie no because they really don't the only time i ever hear people talk about it is when me and you talk about it yeah um i do freaking love it which is so bizarre because it's in like it's in like my i would say it's probably in like my top 10 movies potentially like i really do feel really passionately about it yeah um but yeah no i'm glad i'm glad that was in there (laughs) um maybe not my top 10 movies maybe like top 20 that's why it's not on this list (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was about to say otherwise it would be on this. yeah what was your number six what was my number six was it as good as hunt for the wilder people probably not it was not as oh look at you you're so weird uh it was the undebatably the best action movie of the last 10 years oh i've got an action film coming up oh my next one's an action film so this will this will roll into it perfectly undebatably i feel like ours is going to be the same if it's not this if it's undebatable then i think it's going to be the same is it mad max fury it is mad Max. of course it's mad max your number six and my number five yeah because it's the fucking greatest like that is an action movie Hmm. you don't hit the brakes on that film you keep moving the, you develop the plot while the action's happening you keep fucking moving it's it's so exhilarating to watch there is no greater action movie in the last 10 years than that no. fucking movie um the practicality that went into making it the amount of these war rigs that they built from scratch and then just took them out into the desert and fucking blew them up and crashed them and you know there is a lot of cgi in that film but it's all it's all just aiding the practical stuff it's none of it is like cgi at its core you know yeah. what i mean which Absolutely. is the way that film should be made <laughs> um yeah it's it's uh it's incredible when you read about how they they made the film and they didn't have a script they just had a room with storyboards that wrapped yeah. around the wall because it's not it's not a film that I think can be driven that can be driven in that in a in the the, the typical way of writing a script. Yeah. Like it's a visual. All film is visual, obviously, but this really is like a a fucking visual experience. Like you need 
to see what you're going to see. You can't just have it written down on paper, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't imagine it working the same with Mel Gibson. I think you needed to change to Tom Hardy. Like, yeah. I think Tom Hardy fucking nails it so, so hard. Charlize Theron, I would watch 800,000 movies about her as Furiosa. I, and then I, simultaneously, I'd watch a bunch of movies about her as Atomic Blonde. <laughs> like, I think she's fantastic. Um yeah i i went to see george miller did the he released the black and white version a few years ago and i went to see that at the cinema and i remember not being as big a fan of it he he's a bigger fan of that george miller thinks that you should watch the black and white version yeah. he thinks that's the way it's to so, watch the film i the disagree colors are so vivid because the colors brilliant. are so vivid and i think it takes away from a lot of the practical stunts that are happening especially the explosions things like that like the black and white palette takes away from that, in my opinion. Um, I like I wouldn't recommend watching it in black and white. Personally, I think you need that color. Um, yeah, just just an incredible. That is the definition of an action movie. You just don't fucking yeah. stop, keep moving, but like always live. Like I can't remember who it was. I think it's it's movies with Mikey, the YouTube channel, who points out that there's like a there's like all these little unspoken things throughout the film where like throughout the whole movie like max loses his shoe and then he keeps trying on other people's shoes and all this kind of thing and it's like there's like a whole subplot of like him trying to find a shoe and stuff and i can't remember the exact details of that but it's like all these kind of things that are hidden like or not yeah. hidden but all these things that happen throughout the film that are never directly addressed because they don't need to be it's just all like it's just all building on the what they're going through and stuff you know what i mean I, oh no it's it's fantastic it's filmmaking at its greatest yeah it's weird because i had a different action film uh this morning on my list when i was writing it originally and then for some strange reason this morning i opened it i saw that and i was like what you fucking sh- what are you fucking talking about it's definitely fury road yeah like it like it is that undisputable unquestionably yeah like it fury just road. you just look at it and you go no no other action film like has quite captured film in that way mm-hmm. my god fantastic uh, but if you were to have a couple of other action films that you quite enjoyed this decade, how many of them would be John Wick? Yeah, uh, probably John Wick 1, 2, and 3 would just fucking... <laughs> yeah, they'd be like the follow-up. It'd be like Mad Max and then John Wick 1, 2, 3. If I had to pick it... <laughs> or be... John Wick 2, 2, 3, 1, I think. So which one do you think's the best? 2. 2, I think two's the best. I think two's the best. 2, you get much more of that world expansion stuff, which is kind of why I love the John Wick films. And I think it's the best action. Yeah. I think three... Three is brilliant. The action stuff is better than I think it is in any of them, potentially. Especially the first kind of 40 minutes. Okay. Um, But I think that the world building stuff is like... The stuff they expand on maybe isn't necessarily as interesting as the stuff from the mm. second one. And I think the first one is still absolutely incredible, but... I think the second and the third one just push it yeah. so much further that I almost sometimes forget about like the first one a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, John Wick two, hundred percent. Right, John Wick chapter two, baby. Um, we've had a lot of Mission Impossible films also this decade. Yeah, uh, how many Impo- did we have this decade? Well, we've had we Ghost Protocol was this decade, right? Was it? Oh, was it not? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Wrong then. End uh, end of the line. Mission Impossible Fallout. Really enjoyed that one. Fallout. I would great, say yeah. that that's um, especially the last third is like 
Tom Cruise broke his ankle Fucking to give us movies. That's how, that's how dedicated he is. <laughs> uh, and now he's going to come find you because you said something about Scientology. I thought he wasn't a Scientologist anymore. Did he not? Was oh, he not anymore? Renounce? I don't know. I'm okay. making that up, probably. Probably, yeah. Thinking about somebody else. Probably. Don't know who. Uh, another one is actually The Raid, which I didn't even realise was this decade. Was that this decade? Yeah. Does that mean Judge Dredd was this decade as well? Yeah, Judge Dredd was this Oof. decade. That's so... Or dread. That's, that's so far back. Yeah. Because like... I remember, I must admit, Raid's not one I've rewatched in a very long time. But I remember when I first watched it, I was like, fuck yeah, this is this is how action's meant to be. This is fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, just taking a small location and fucking these mental people, well, the mental abilities and like, just really... Showcasing it. Yeah, just yeah. really like, what's the word? Just like bone crunching action. Bone crunching? What a great word. Right, so you've uh, driven right over my number five. Yeah, sorry about that. Right, you just trampled right but over it's it. It's good, we're just killing two birds with one stone. I feel Mad Max would enjoy that. <laughs> just running <laughs> over the, the two of them. <laughs> exactly. What's your number five, Scott Morrison? My number five is uh, set a few decades from now, okay. in the year 2049. Oh, I know this. Blade Runner. Oh, okay. <laughs> what were you going to say? <laughs> I say Star Wars, right? <laughs> yeah, a long time ago... But a little bit into the future, I guess, in a galaxy <laughs> far, far away. Uh, yeah, no, Blade Runner 2049. It was really hard to pick the best Denis Villeneuve film. Well, then, this is also going to ring into my number four, because number four is my best film is of it his. Is it Arrival? It is Arrival. God damn. Yeah, <laughs> look at us go. Aye. Well, let's just fucking talk about our boy Denis. Uh, he's a, a, do, can I just say, right, he's mental for picking Dune next. Because Blade Runner 2049, as good as it was, uh, didn't make that much money. It certainly did not. And I really don't think Dune's going to make but that much money. But it's almost like they're just like, you know what? Like, it didn't make a lot of money, but he made this masterpiece. Like, just... Yeah, but just let's let him do it again so we have a good Dune movie. But how many masterpieces that make no money do you have to make before a studio goes, eh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. leave this guy. And I really don't... I really don't think there's a community out there who uh, like there is like a small minority that really can't wait for this Dune film, mm. and there's like fans of him that can't wait for this Dune film. I don't think they're big enough to to take the box office. Yeah. I'm really concerned. Yeah, there's this, this little niche this, audience. Is, <laughs> this is going to unite to try and like break box I, office. I'm really, con- I'm more concerned that this might be his last film because I don't think it will. Because I, they, he he made enough kind of lower budget films that gained a lot of traction and popularity that I think they would let him just go they would just they would just give him lower budgets again to yeah. make you know original films um, but or not original because I guess they're based mm-hmm. off books and stuff but um, yeah it was it was it, it, it's everything he makes is an absolute fucking banger yeah Prisoners banger banger yeah brilliant mystery kind of like man driven to the edge type drama like brutal drama with probably my favourite uh uh, Jake Gyllenhaal performance. Um, there's a lot to choose from. from Sicario, yeah. the most kind of brutal look you will get at, you know, the kind of Mexican cartel drug situation, and also that kind of that concept of like just being kept in the dark by your government and by the people in charge. Um, Arrival. Uh, well, that's my number. You're going to talk about love you Arrival. Know, we'll get to that though. We'll Blade Runner 2049 and though. then Blade Runner 2049 I think I went for Blade Runner 2049 just because it kind of 
it's again it's like it's kind of what i said about uh no country for old men it is a film where every element of it is operating at 100 percent. like there's nothing kind of out of place in that film um or no like weak element of it uh just the, the 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 way he's able to just take that that world of the first movie and just expand on it and make it so much more interesting and make it feel in my opinion like so much more lived in and again mm. it feels like a kind of world that exists outside the film the fact that you know the streets of is it la that they live in i always forget is it meant to be yes yeah, it is are are so busted it's so packed full of people and you realize that like the reason for that is because you know vegas is now just a desert so no one can live there anymore so like la is now bigger and that's not something that's directly addressed that's just more world building that he does these you know these robots that you can buy that will basically act as a surrogate wife for you like that kind of shit that he you know he just drops in there and it all works towards the plot um he's just a fucking he's just incredible at at at, at kind of at building these 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 worlds and these like situations like arrival you know he he's so good at like walking you through that that whole concept of trying to communicate with something that you have no conceivable way of understanding um but yeah i think blade runner just it just it, it it's the best example of like that sequel rebooty thing i guess because it kind of is a reboot a bit I yeah guess. Like it's, i get what you mean it's like it's um i mean it's not exactly continuing the direct story it's, yeah it's very much but then it is towards the end it's yeah. like yeah um yeah i i just i i i don't know i feel like i'm bad at talking about this movie <laughs> like, it's just too stunned like yeah I mean, I it's beautiful it's lovely what yeah. more do you want what kids? do you Go want watch me it. to see <laughs> What do you want to talk about? You want to talk about Arrival? For it's Arrival's the film I've only ever seen once, actually, but it really has stuck with me. Uh-huh. Like I really do think about it. I must admit, I think about it more than I do Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I do still think about the Blade Runner twenty forty nine a lot. But there's just something. Um, I think it's just in, inherently fascinating to begin with. Like for if you don't know, Arrival is about like this alien species comes down to Earth. And it's Amy Adams played this person who's trying to communicate with them and they're speaking something that's an entirely different language, yeah. an entirely different way of communicating and how she figures it out. And it's such a fucking... It's a topic that I didn't even know was that fascinating. Yeah. Like, and you're watching it and it's just brilliant. And then there's like... Th- there is like elements towards the end. Uh, I don't want to spoil it because like if you haven't... If you're mm. listening to this and you're not a real rival, it's too, it's too good to like spoil... Yeah the film like it is just worth seeing but there's elements in the end that make it so much more interesting if, um there's there's yeah it's just thinking about again it, it's always that ending about. again i don't think it's good to spoil it but like again it's that that human element of it it asks such like big questions of you as a person and you know if you knew this thing would you be able to still do that like yeah this and like i said don't want to spoil it so it's kind of weird to talk about but but it's uh, yeah, it's my, it's one of those films that I was like, I really like. It's something I'll I'll say commonly, but this one really was on my mind for like weeks after I watched it. Like, just thinking about yeah. um, the different aspects of it. I fucking love a right. It's kind of there's there's an element of it as well that, that is almost kind of going on right now. We'll we'll break the quarantine, <laughs> but uh, you know there's a kind of big element of the fact that a lot of the st- stress 
that the characters are under in that film is not knowing how other countries are going to respond to the situation yeah so it's like while they're trying to figure out how to talk to it china has their fucking missiles pointed at it like ready to go and it's almost kind of like right now like like every country has their own way of of dealing with the situation and no one country is necessarily right in the way that they're dealing with it Hmm. it's like everyone's just fucking flinging shit at the wall and seeing if it sticks whether it's you know spain where you will be fined if you're caught walking the streets right now or it's here where we just do nothing and hope for the best. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting that it's like it 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 goes into that kind of that global pandemic thing quite well. Yeah. Of you know, Aye. China is going to want to handle the alien situation differently to how potentially America is going to want to handle the alien situation. It's definitely the most. Uh, realistic depiction of what would happen if aliens landed yeah. that I, I, I've seen on, on film. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that is a great choice. That guy, yeah, Denis Villeneuve, I'd say he's probably the best Yeah, kind of director working I today. Definitely. Um, that was like my choice of like a high concept sci-fi. Uh-huh. Another one that... Uh, another director who's like going out there doing his thing who's had a couple of high concept sci-fis this decade is Christopher Nolan. Uh, Inception was this decade. Can you believe it? Damn. It feels like that. a stretch, isn't it? So and that means the Dark Knight Rises was this decade. Yeah, but that's definitely not on my list. <laughs> Do you know what? I'll check for you. No, not, not on my your list. list. Not, on my list. Your note, your not even remotely. Um, but Inception, I've, I was really, really... Uh, Do you know what? It's a film I've not seen for a while. I think yeah. it's worth a rewatch because I've not seen it in a long time. Um, and I must admit, I remember at the time the hype behind it. Oh, it yeah. did kind of ruin it for me, because um, like I thought it was like really fun, uh, like cleverly done um, mm. sci-fi film, like sci-fi action blockbuster, like really 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 cool set pieces, fucking beautiful filmmaking. But I remember it was a lot of this is the most intelligent film you'll ever see in your whole entire lifetime, <laughs> and it almost has that Rick and Morty effect, which is funny because Rick yeah. and Morty have actually talked about Inception in the exact same way, oh, really? where you're like. I love Rick and Morty, but and all these people talking about Rick and Morty kind of make me resent Rick and Morty yeah. a bit. Well, I think the thing with Inception, the big thing when that film came out was people thought it was confusing. They'd be like, oh, it's, it's too confusing. I got lost. I, got, I, got, I didn't understand it. But, like, Inception is basically just a film of exposition. That's yeah. all it is. It's just exposition all the time. Even when the action is happening... Ellen Page will be like, what, what, what does that mean? And Leonardo DiCaprio will stop to explain to her exactly what is going on. In the most condescending tone. And I get that the film throws a lot at you, but there's not... The film literally spoon feeds you everything you need to know. Yeah. So I remember when people were coming out being like, I don't understand it. It's confusing. I'm like, just listen. Like, just listen. He tells you absolutely everything you need to know. Like, it's not... It's not complicated. That's yeah. not me being like, oh, fucking check me i'm so smart it's like read a book Ugh. it's like no don't don't be hard on yourself just watch the movie and just listen and they'll tell you everything and you'll uh, understand it it's it's you know what i mean because that's all that film is like i say it's just exposition i love inception but um yeah it is it is very just like leonardo dicaprio explaining things to ellen page for two and a half hours and then the movie ends <laughs> Uh, I actually really liked Interstellar. It's not as popular amongst other I've people. I've only seen Interstellar once. I remember kind of struggling to get on board with the ending. 
of that movie, but I can't remember why because I've only seen it one time. That was 2014. Oh, it's it been really a that hot long minute since Interstellar came out. Uh, What's he on since then? Dunkirk? Yes, and he's doing one this year, isn't he? Yeah, Tenet. 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 Um, David Tennant. <laughs> he's directing the biopic of David Tennant. Uh, of what a biopic it will be. Um, Here's me doing a bunch of BBC dramas. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, and obviously you've got your big sci-fi stuff. Um, there is Force Awakens and Last Jedi, and but to be honest, when it comes to those sort of big franchise sci-fi films, the one I was coming back to thinking, I think this is actually just so underrated and barely talked about is Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, Star Trek. I think the thing with Star Trek Beyond is Star Trek Beyond is just like a really. It's just fun. Yeah, it's just straight up fun sci-fi movie, and I think one of the best things, one of the best elements of that one, is that it doesn't have that. Uh, it doesn't have that the grandioseness that the other two have, where like the first one, it's like JJ Abrams being like, "We're starting a new Star Trek," and oh my god, there's so many attachments to the past and all this kind of stuff, and then. The second one, he feels like he has to rewrite the past, um, which I'll never understand why he went down that route. <laughs> but the third one is just, yeah, we'll just take these Star Trek characters and we'll put them in a in a modern action Star Trek film. Yeah, um, yeah, I, like I I love Beyond. It's it's kind of the one, the one of the three of them that. I mean, I like the first one. I do like the first. One I do like the first one. one. I just feel like it has that J.J. Abrams thing of. Every, everything has to have so much weight to it because it's a thing that you know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, He's had a rough decade with his franchise film, J.J. The thing is, but the thing is, I think he did it... He does it really well with The Force Awakens. Yeah. Like, last... Uh, the fucking... Not The Last Jedi. Uh, the Rise of Skywalker's hot garbage. But he... he I thought... I think he handles Force Awakens, like, pretty spectacularly. By doing things like... Like a... Like, I remember when the Millennium Falcon is introduced in that movie, and she's like, oh, we'll take the garbage, and they run towards the Millennium Falcon, and the music goes, and then they're all the Millennium Falcon, and you keep moving. Um, And, like, I think that's, that's, like, a good way to do that, to, like, reintroduce that to film, because it's driving the plot along. What I don't like is when you watch Solo, and they walk up to the Millennium Falcon, and the camera's on it for, like, two minutes, and it's the... The really dramatic because the film is taking two minutes to go. It's a thing that you recognize, and it's like I I thought the way he did it in the first film was was so much better. Like the fact that he has the that you know he had Kylo Ren has the Darth Vader helmet, um, because he sees that as that iconography of like that's what he strives to be. You know, everything was kind of working everything served a purpose and then you get to the rise of skywalker and it's like sidious is here don't worry about it why is he <laughs> no idea why he's here don't worry about it we're rifting here um yeah i i, I on the, the the note of the last jedi and no one's gonna fucking come at me for this because no one's listening <laughs> i i think the last jedi might be like my favorite big budget like temple film of the decade maybe really maybe really because i feel like as much as you liked it and you didn't dislike it when we came out the cinema but i feel like it more grew on you grew on me big time yeah the first time i saw it i wasn't into it but that a lot of that stemmed from being disinterested in star wars at that point 
Star Wars fatigue was very much in it. Star Wars fatigue was very much a thing, and I remember I I wasn't really I wasn't that I didn't like it. I just wasn't. I just didn't feel like I cared really. Mm. And then I saw it again with my sister, and she loved it, and that like rubbed off on me, and I was like, yeah, like that was that was great, wasn't it? Like that was really like exciting and 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 fun, and it has a lot of weird plot points, like weird weird plot points, but. Like, I was still really into that. And then every time I've seen it since, it has grown so much more on me. And then last year I watched it on two separate occasions. And both times I feel like I just fucking... I just got it. Like, I don't know. I just, like, it all came together. And there's still elements that I, I, I'm i not huge on. I think the the Laura Dern character, the fact that she just won't tell people what her plan is... And then the reason is because she doesn't want to be a hero. And it's like, no, you should have just told people what your plan was. That was really fucking weird. Yeah. And as much as I like the the whole thing of Leia being connected to the Force, I still find the part where she flies kind of hard to get on board with. See, I'm, I'm, that's one of the elements that everyone's yeah. like criticizes that I'm, I'm always okay with. Mm. I think that's what, if you were to use the Force to, to, to like drift through space, I think that's what it would look like. Yeah, no, that's... It doesn't bother me as much as it used to. The first time I remember seeing it, I was like, this is... Oh, boy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I, I really love everything about that film. Like, the things that people complain about, I just don't... I don't get it. And I do think a lot of it just stems from, like, the kind of... The people who are complaining are people who had an idea of what they wanted this, they yeah. wanted that film to be, and they didn't get that. And I like that they just let Ryan Johnson do what he wanted and he just made a Ryan Johnson film. Like I'm always much more fascinated by like these these kind of big budget films. I'm always more fascinated by them when a director just gets to do what he wants. Yeah. Something like when Tim Burton did Batman Returns. And that's just a Tim Burton movie with Batman in it. Or and this one is this one is undebatably good, but like uh Alfonso Cron with Prisoner of Azkaban. That yeah. I always think of that as an Alfonso Cuarón film, not like first before I think of it as a Harry Potter film. Um, and I think Last Jedi, yeah, like Last Jedi is one that I will like. I'm not crazy about that trilogy as a whole, but like I'll, I'm like I love that movie now. Like I love everything that it's doing. I love the shit with Luke. I love Snoke so fucking much. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love Kylo Ren. I think he's like the most interesting, at least for those first two movies, the most interesting Star Wars character that there's ever been, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I love it. It's not one of my films of the decade, but it's good. I was going to jokingly say it was number one, but that joke's ruined now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that means In terms of my your... low-budget sci-fi... Uh, is that your number four, yes? My number four we don't need to talk about. Why is that? Because we did a whole episode on it. Oh, what was number four? My number four was Under the Skin. Of course, yeah. We did an episode just just a few episodes so, ago. We don't even really say anything about that. If you want to hear a whole hour's worth of conversation about Under the Skin, you just listen to a couple of episodes ago. Exactly. Uh, so I don't really feel like we need to stick around on that one. But that rolls into number three, because that's my low... So now we're in the top three, baby. Top three, baby. Low low scope sci-fi film, which I did put Under Skin, Under Skin as a runner-up. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, for number three, I put X Machina. X Machina. Machina. I knew I said <laughs> as soon as I said Machina. What embarrassment! Oh, as soon as I said Machina, your brain went. My brain went. Oh, you made a choice there. 
and it was the wrong choice. The wrong trousers. Um, I love this film. I love um, like the cool sci-fi questions it goes into. I love that it's just three actors in a house, and yeah, that's just that's just the film. But yeah, it's so beautiful and so uh, interesting, and captivating, and. Uh, Alex Gar- Gar- Garland is like I'm really interested to see his new TV show he's got coming out. What's his new TV show? Um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's got uh, it's about it's about a tech company. Oh, I, do you know what? Uh, I don't remember that much about it, but I remember seeing the trailer. <laughs> I remember seeing Nick Offerman was the star, and Dude. I remember thinking uh, it's about technology and stuff, which is a pretty pretty rich field for Alex Garland. And going yeah. sold. And they're like, and here's the pre- no, I don't need to hear the premise. I don't, I'm not too worried about the premise. Yeah, uh, I'm just sold on all of what you've said so far. I, I wish he would do the another two Annihilation films. Like I wish he'd yeah. carry on that franchise. Yeah, because I read the, I read the first two books, recent or like last year, and they're so interesting i do want to read the books i'm i'm gonna get on that i think that the film the film does take elements from the second book and integrates them into the 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 film because the whole thing with the books is like the first book is about you know is kind of the plot of the first movie but you don't have the stuff in the laboratories or anything at the beginning Mm -hmm. the book very much starts while they're in the field like while they're in the already in the what do they call it the shimmer um, and then the second, and that it's just all about that and their kind of journey to the lighthouse and things like that. And then uh, the second book focuses on the organization that's kind of in charge of learning about the Shimmer. And they kind of integrate some of that into the start of Annihilation, the film, but it's not a lot. And I just wish he would just commit and do the other two. I feel like that's one. It's kind of like Dune, though. It's like the problem is it's a very niche audience. Yeah, but then it was a niche audience for Annihilation, and like I feel like it's got a pretty good reputation now. It does. It does. I guess it's hard to know with Netflix because you don't know. Like if Annihilation went as a cinema, you'd know by a rough opening weekend how well it did. But on Netflix, you've no idea. Yeah. Um, But X Machina. (laughs) X Machina. as much as I loved Annihilation, I think X Magna would be my Alex Garman yeah. uh, film of the decade. Um, it's actually something I need to rewatch because I, uh, I I watched it a few the year it came out I watched it twice and then I watched it a year the next year, but I've not seen it since. Mm. So I need to rewatch it. I saw it. I saw it last year. Actually. It's weird because it was. Actually... I saw it at like one in the morning. I yeah, think, I think I we watched a movie. Uh, we watched a really good movie. It was called Blind Spotting. Um, and after it, I was just in this mood of like, that was a great movie. I want to watch another great movie. And everybody else went to bed, and I was like, I'm just gonna sit. And I watched X Machina on Netflix, but it was like one in the morning, and I was like kind of sleepy, and maybe it wasn't the best time to watch it. But um, yeah, no, that's a great film, and I think yeah, like you said, it's it's just kind of get these three powerhouse actors, and the 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 plot of the film, I guess, is just a kind of simple question of you know this question of like ai ai and yeah how how where, where what point do you get to where it is no longer a computer where it is its own person basically i would also say it's in a in a little runner up for that sort of sci-fi scope another one that uh, explores ai and i am fascinated by ai and that's a really fascinating topic but her um, hers yeah it's like a that's a obviously hugely about AI um about walking phoenix falling in love with it's his about Wanda 
fuck your computer. Who wants to fuck your computer? <laughs> yeah, it's weirdly sentimental. Yeah, it's very sweet. Um, yeah, uh, and it's funny because that film, the Ex Machina, is uh, so long ago that they weren't even in Star Wars yet. That was thing when Ex Machina came oh, out. They're we both were, in Star Wars, aren't they? Yeah, we were like, oh, those two actors are going to be in Star Wars, and oh. they weren't yet. And now so look at go. them. Yeah. One of them gets it. killed unceremoniously, and the other is Oscar Isaac. Do you hear someone singing? I hear music. Or is that just a drain pipe? That that tells you my taste in music. I thought I heard someone singing, and I was like, have you seen that video? Like, quarantine. Have you seen that video of like the Italians standing on their balcony I've not seen singing? it, but I've heard it. And I was like, is that happening now already? <laughs> We're not locked in yet, though. Only a matter of time. Oh, how would you feel if you were locked in with me? If like, I was going to say, how would you feel if like they were like on oh, no, the lock-in starts at 10 p.m. and it's right now it's 9:59 and you were just like fuck, <laughs> you would have to survive on our one bag of pasta and our fucking one thing of toilet roll because we didn't panic by it because we're not idiots. <laughs> <laughs> but now who's stupid? Scott <laughs> but we're gonna feel stupid where we have to where we have to keep you fed and water for two weeks as well as and I, I need thorough fed and washing and I shit a lot bow you whoa nothing doctors marvel at me um no X Machina is a sole choice I love it thank you what's your number three my number three is uh Green Book the Oscar winning film Green Book oh really where an Italian man teaches a black man that fried chicken is very good okay it's not yeah that, that's i haven't interesting, seen that man. i haven't seen that movie um it's green room of course it's green room. <laughs> of course it's i knew green. it was gonna be green room i because I, I was green room was actually a runner-up for my horror films but i thought i i, I was so confident that you're gonna mention it yeah that i thought it best be left i feel like green room when i was talking earlier about how this I, I was like this list is very much like the things i like i feel like green room is one of those ones where I know a lot of people love that, love it. I can't see it being a film that comes up on many, if any, films of the decade lists. But it is just a film that yeah, I love so fucking much. I actually watched this film on Friday night. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's in recent memory. And I have as much love for it as I always do. Um, I think it's, it's, a, it's like a film that just gets, it gets like chaos right like they're in this situation and it's 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 just fucking messy like i've seen like a lot i can hear myself saying like a lot i hate <laughs> it when that happens <laughs> so i sound like i'm from fucking like la or something where you just say like all the time oh my god like that's like totally like awesome um yeah i think it it gets chaos like right i think it gets it just creates such a sense of panic, which I love. The Certainly not that, topical. Uh, the fact that, like, everything they try to do and everything that they do is, like, is sloppy. It's always, like, sloppy. And if things go wrong, there's real consequences for it. Like, they have the moment where, before they kind of really understand the danger they're in, and they decide that they're going to hand the gun back to Patrick Stewart's character. And then Anton Yelchin puts his arm through the door. And then they proceed to... He immediately realizes he's made a mistake. But before he can pull his arm back, they start slicing into his arm with a machete. 
it is brutal but it's like there's real consequences for those stupid decisions that they make like the decision that they make to just you know to fucking run outside and they immediately get like attacked by dogs it's like or he jumps out the window and the guys run up and stab him and it's like yeah what did you think was going to happen if you jumped out the window like they're all just waiting for you to come out like that's what that's what was going to happen and it's not until they almost decide to embrace that chaos that that's how they overpower them you know what i mean by just to play manic and to play play into that the insanity of the situation and that's what kind of overpowers them i think i love selling the movie to people who have never seen it and i love always being like if you had to cast someone as the head of a neo-nazi group who would you cast and then you know they'll list somebody and i'll be like what if i said to you patrick stewart (laughs) your favorite granddad he is so scary in that film and the reason he's so scary is because the whole time you get the vibe that he has done this dozens of times because he unlike the the kind of group of goodies per se where they're sort of so chaotic and what they're that what they're doing he is like he's got everything down to a fucking science like he knows uh you know like oh the police have been called right get two guys out here pay them 750 dollars one of them stabs the other one then when the police show up that's why we called them we called them because there was a stabbing right now that's the police gone they're dealt with now how do you know you know what i mean it's like he's so just meticulous he knows he he knows to you know that they can't just shoot these 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 kids they need to make it look like they had a reason to shoot them okay so we'll make it look like they were they, they find uh the, the gas pipe in the car okay we'll make it look like they were trying to siphon gas and we shot them do we have a do we have a trespassers beware sign and he goes no we've got a beware the dog sign he goes, that's even better it's like that like you just get the sense that he knows exactly what he's doing and even towards the end of the, even towards the end of the film where anton yachin and imogen poot's character have the upper hand unquestionably have the upper hand patrick stewart's character just still remains so cool and so calm because I don't think he know he envisions a scenario where he can, doesn't come out on top. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, there's one moment in the film where he loses his shit, uh, where the, the the Mason Blair's character says to him, "Oh, they're smart," and he goes, "I think that he goes, they're smarter than you," and he smacks his head off the wall. There's a pause, and then he goes, "I apologize." <laughs> like that's the one moment where you see him kind of lose his shit a bit, but it's yeah. like that's because he's only just learning what the situation is. But then he just fucking buckles that, and that that, in my opinion, is what makes him like so fucking scary. Um, yeah, I I I just think it's, I yeah, I just like I said, I don't I don't think there's a film that kind of there's a there's a film that delves into like the consequences of your actions in a situation like that as much as Green Room does, and Fair it's enough. brutal. <laughs> um, and I also just love that like films that are in like. I feel like it just gets that that kind of grunge scene yeah. like really right, um, and I love the I love when it when when they're playing the gig and it kind of slows down for a minute and it almost shows you like again like the the, the people are having a mosh pit and stuff and they slow the camera down and it almost trying to show you the beauty in this cha- weird chaotic act that people do at gigs like yeah it's great it's a tour de force. <laughs> I'd say a quick runner up for like horror films that aren't about supernatural stuff uh get out 
Really yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah, great. Yeah, really, yeah, yeah. really, really good. <laughs> um, it was all very close to it and on my list, but was as as a considerate a horror film. Um, not even quite sure it is. It's more maybe more of a thriller, but it's pretty. It's got like horror elements to it. Yeah. Um, really, just a really fucking outstanding film. Well made. <laughs> good boys. Well made. So we're in our number twos. Have you got enough toilet roll for this number two? Oh. Good one. <laughs> uh, we should my, have done our top 19. One for every COVID. Is that what it's called? COVID-19? Are we? <laughs> is yeah. that after... Is 19, maybe this is stupid, Dawn. Is that 19 after the year it was formed? Oh, I don't know. I've never thought about that. I've never thought about that until then. No, mm. Maybe. That makes maybe. sense. Um, my number two film is... Uh, one with what I just an outstanding performance, probably my performance of the decade. Ooh. I'd say, Ooh. what an Oscar! Ooh. Thoroughly deserved it. My number two film's Whiplash. Oh man, yeah, I yeah that makes sense. <laughs> love Whiplash. Yeah, uh, Whiplash. Uh, this film about desperation of perfection. It's not about drumming. And really, that's not a topic I have any interest <laughs> any knowledge in. of, yeah. Uh, and it's about jazz as well, which is a, a genre of music that, I mean, I appreciate it in passing, but, you know, me and yeah. jazz are never going to meet up and have a pint. It's just it's just not not the same wheelhouses. I get you, man. Uh, but I fucking love this film. Blown away by it. Um, J.K. Simmons is just fucking phenomenal. So scary. Like, yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, this film is brilliant. But he would put that. Do you think having a teacher like that? Do you think that would push you? Well, I, mean, I think that, I'd that's the pussy, question. I think it? I'd pussy the fuck out. I'd be out of that class so fast. Like no way. But then that's no it. way. But my mental health doesn't need that shit. But <laughs> then that's like that's that's the point, isn't it? Because yeah. Miles Teller, his character, wants to be so good at drums, and he knows that this is the guy he has to impress. Because this guy, he's not saying, "Oh, that was a good job, Miles Teller. That was a decent go at the yeah. drums you did." This guy's like, "No fucking." I tell you when you're fucking perfect. Yeah, uh, and he's that desperate. Miles Teller is that desperate to be noteworthy, to be uh, excel in his field that like he will endure like mm. the horrible things he this guy puts him through. Outst- and that fucking there's a, the drum sequence at the end. Oh yeah, I did not. That breathe. is like the ultimate boss fight. <laughs> Genuinely, yeah, and it's. A guy on a drum kit. I I did not breathe. I realized after the drum sequence was over that I just wasn't breathing that whole yeah. time. Like I was that tense. And it's just drums. No, it's an incredible, it, an incredible ending. Yeah. Um, to a film just watching their dynamic in that final sequence, like their dynamic shift to where it's like kind of pure venom at each other from from each other yeah and a weird appreciation shifts to this like appreciate and to, yeah. to this like like yeah jk Simmons' character just gets on his side um it's incredible like i almost want there's there's a part of me that like wants a next scene but knows that you don't need it yeah <laughs> it's uh like i want to see them interact after that but it's not necessary at yeah. all um yeah no whiplash incredible just that that like incredible kind of thing of yeah if you're are are you going to strive to be the best 
or, or the, the 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 very 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 best, and it's like mm, I'd, I'd I'd pussy out. I'll settle, I'll settle the best. Yeah, <laughs> I'm modest. I'll just be the I'll best. I'll settle for being fine. <laughs> uh, you other... never see him play the fucking drums. J.K. Simmons. No, in but that then, movie, he's not. You never necess- once see him play the drums. He's not necessarily a drums player. He's he's like a. He just knows how to keep. I'd be beat. like, you do it, Baldy. Fucking. Why do spo- Why do you suppose I fr- held that chair at you? Yeah. <laughs> was it the temple? I'll I'll still say, are you Russian? Or are you dragon? Or are you gonna be on oh, my, my fucking, fucking time. time? He is terrifying in that film. Him and Patrick Stewart, the two scariest bald men of the yeah. decade. Like. And yet you think of them as like their like I think of J.K. Simmons as like J. Jonah Jameson and get me pictures of Spider Man and yeah. he comes out with a performance like that and you're like, fuck. Yeah. Thank God they worked out that deal with the spider-man movies because i was like you can't dangle jk simmons return as j jonah jameson and then not give me more yeah like, you can't you need to figure this shit out oh i'm advocate like now that we can't do stan lee cameos we should be doing jk simmons because okay. all you have to do is fucking put him in front of a green screen and go can you read the news of what's happening in yeah. black panther 2 and it's like this is j jonah jameson and in in wakanda this is happening and you're like that's what you need to do yeah. So you could absolutely put him in on every Marvel film and I'd be fucking delighted. Uh, some other dramas, I kind of put that as a drama category that kind of came up as I really liked, I really liked Social Network and I was really shocked. <laughs> it was, wasn't, didn't end up in my top 10. Well, here's a fun segue. Oh, <laughs> before I go into Social Network more then, uh, another one was Room. I really, really liked Room. The Room? Yes. Wait, what? That wasn't this decade. Shit, I need to throw this whole note back. <laughs> uh, room with fucking blank Brie Larson. Brie Larson. There we go. Yeah. Brought it back. Didn't need your help. Shut up. Uh, <laughs> great drama. Again, yeah, well, kind of like, as I was talking about Breadwinner earlier, taking a really, really dark subject and putting it through from the perspective of a kid. It's just, I, I love that. I love every yeah. every film that can try and do that. It's fascinating to me because it makes such dark topics into somehow light but still sinister at the same Mm -hmm. time the thing i remember that film doing really well was really making that room seem giant and making it seem like a whole world and then i remember at the end when he comes back to it and they show you it kind of stripped down and it's how tiny it is you can't even imagine you can't even imagine like being contained to that i mean we might get to but like, you can't even imagine <laughs> be like contained to a you know a place that small and that being your whole world. Um, but I thought that was kind of what that film did best. I've only seen it once though. I saw and it. that kid is, she's great. Christ. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like there's like the emotions and like the stuff he has to balance as like a child actor is like incredible. Yeah, it's fucking incredible, uh, and it's mind blowing that he was able to do that. Hit us out with number two, Scott. What's your number two? <laughs> you already mentioned it. it was oh, the... oh, I've embarrassed you. It's totally the social network. I fear eroded <laughs> you. Um, yeah, the fucking social network. I thought, which would have, I kind of thought would be on your, would have been on yours. It was so. very close to being on it. I can see why Whiplash would be on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If I, if it was again, if it weren't me trying to do every genre, social network would have been on this yeah. list. Um, but when it came to like, I was trying to narrow it down to one drama. It was between Social Network and Whiplash, and I really went between them both. But just Whiplash, I think I was like that. When I'm watching it, just captured me in a way that like very few films ever have. And Social Network is a fucking fantastic film. Oh yeah. And you're about to tell me why it's a fantastic <laughs> film, Scott Morrison. 
I would do it in like yeah the most basic way ever probably um i think social network is kind of maybe the most important film of the decade Ooh, because i don't think there's a i don't feel like there's another film that kind of defines what our generation is quite like the social network okay um break it down for me well because you know i think obviously we're the first generation who have grown up with the internet which was this whole the whole new thing a whole new world um and we'll also be the only generation that remembers before the internet yeah and yeah having the internet isn't the world crazy um oh fuck it oh, i still have to hang up my washing that's <laughs> <laughs> I just remember what it is to be a grown up. <laughs> like, oh, it's half ten at night, and I forgot. We're, I have to hang up my washing still after this. Um, yeah, I think it's a film that, 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 that kind of more encapsulates like what our generation is than 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 any other film of the last decade. Because you know, we were we were the first generation to kind of grow up with the internet properly, and with the internet as a tool that could be used for creativity and to make new things. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it, 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 it's, it, it's kind of like really looks at that world, that world of people who took the internet, people like Sean Parker, who, who made Napster and fucked the music industry over. And then, you know, Mark Zuckerberg who made Facebook, the, the most popular website on the internet. You know what I mean? It's like, these guys who were kind of just taking this new tool and building, just making a job out of it. You know what I mean? Like Facebook yeah. was not a thing that existed. It wasn't like a concept. And then, you know, he just made that. If that makes the yeah. again, I mean, it's, it's like basic a whole, way of it's like, like talking a whole, about this. But. Um, I mean, genre is the wrong word, but he's created like a whole genre yeah. of how to use the internet. A whole like social invented social like there's an element of inventing social networking but then it's like with all that becomes this element of you know the way that the business of that all worked was also like new territory you know what i mean Hmm. and the film really like gets into that a lot and the fact that this thing this thing that these like two friends created ended up just ripping them apart because of the business side of things and because of like this kind of these petty attitudes that like especially Mark Zuckerberg seemed to have towards Eduardo Saverin and at least in the you know the film version I don't know what that was like in real life but yeah I just I think it's it I don't think there's a I don't think there's another film this decade that like captures that generation better than Social Network does really I think the other a lot of other ones maybe try and it always comes off sometimes like a bit silly or maybe like the person who's making it doesn't necessarily understand that generation and things like that and i think but i think social network like just fucking nails it beautifully Mwah. Mwah. um yeah yeah that's that's kind of like why that's kind of like why i love it so much um not that i like not that i like see myself in like those characters or anything but it's like it's like yeah that was like the stuff we grew up with it was like we had this new tool at our disposal and like the guy says in the film, it's like people aren't getting jobs anymore. They're making jobs. 
and that's like what that's kind of about and i always think that with one... that came this this weird world where the, the weird business world where nobody really understood how it all worked because there weren't rules yet and i think one of the interesting things is when we were growing up like people put on stuff on youtube as like just a fun thing they did like yeah. reviews of stuff and now it's just its own industry but it's fascinating that we have grown up over that bit where that's come where that's come out of people who are like posting stuff on youtube this is angry video game no this is my vi- review of like these retro video games and they are now like fucking rich people who are like making they've made careers off of it yeah and now that's a possible now there's kids growing up who, who want, want to be, be youtube stars they don't want to be stars yeah they don't want to be film stars as much they don't want to like that that's a whole new thing you can dream to be as a kid a yeah. youtube star it's almost like facebook and napster the two things that social network covers were like the first two big internet scandals yeah i guess you know what i mean um yeah it's got my boy justin timberlake in it again yeah he's in two of my films of the decade that guy got around he, he did, did not bad uh and i also think like mark zuckerberg is just not mark zuckerberg like jesse eisenberg's version of mark zuckerberg like you can tell in other movies that like the direction for a character has been be like jesse eisenberg from the social (laughs) network you know what i mean um like that's kind of that's kind of a performance that launched that kind of character trope almost yeah um i also think social networks like a fucking genius pairing of david fincher and aaron um sorkin sorkin uh his dialogue with david fincher's directing like that's beautiful filmmaking uh and that the argument that they have at the end of the movie uh eduardo Saverin and mark zuckerberg in the facebook office is fucking tremendous acting where it just all comes to a head it's just all that anger and all this weird fucking digs that they've taken each other all throughout the film where it all just comes to a head and it's just like an incredible incredible argument like i sometimes just watch that scene on youtube because i just find it so fascinating watching the two of them like play off each other but yeah social networks fucking good are we gonna both talk about our favorite film of the year i reckon here's a fun game for you because i reckon we both could knowing each other well should we guess each other's number one because it's probably gonna be the same movie oh i don't think it's gonna be the same movie you don't no oh oh i would have thought it would have been the same this is interesting because i don't think you would put this as your number one film okay but it's very it's a film i'm very passionate about Okay. And then the film I thought you'd have put as your number one is one you haven't mentioned yet, but then I don't think you would have think I'd put it as Ooh. Well this is maybe maybe not then. Well what is your number one of the of the decade? My number one film of the decade is Boyhood. Oh. Oh no, not at all then. Yeah. Oh. I I thought we were gonna be on the same page. Ooh. Maybe you've put up a film that I have not even like Well what is mine? Well I was gonna say it was Patterson. Because you've not mentioned Patterson yet. It's not Patterson. Patterson was in my runners-up list. I just oh, really? gone around talking about it. It's not Patterson. Ooh. No. My oh. number one film of the decade is Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Oh, of course. Of course it he is. You thought it would be pa- That's interesting. Well, only because you hadn't mentioned it yet. But then I forgot Scott Pilgrim was this decade. Yeah, that's 2010. Same as yeah. Social Network. Um, no, Scott Pilgrim is a runner-up um actually do you know what i it ran uh, ran up in my comedies because i thought of it was more of a comedy film mm. but then i didn't i admitted mention it because i guess 
at the time I thought you'd mention it closer up but yeah of course it's your number one because it's your favourite well, film it's my favourite movie so like, it, it makes sense that it would be my number one film of the decade yeah aye um, that's cool that, that's weird that you thought it would be Patterson I get that I have a weird passion for Patterson that yeah. no one else seems to have I don't think but yeah um, I mean I've always wanted to do an episode on Patterson because I just want like I, I yeah I find that movie really fascinating I think I talk about it on the films of the year uh, podcast when I talked about the dead don't die because I hated it and I felt like it was a big slap in the face to everything that Jim Jarmusch said with Patterson hmm. um, but yeah that was what that was one of the films that was the last kind of one that was in my runners up list um, because I like a, I think it's just a great kind of love letter to just the, the, the modern man the, the, the normal man um, and I, I love that it kind of tries to I think the message of that film is that if you create something whether you're like a filmmaker or a poet but you're not published you're not famous for it it doesn't mean that you're not a poet you still are a poet mm. like as long as you do it then you are that thing you know what i mean and i think that's something that especially when we were going through uni when i saw that movie that a lot of people that i knew like i felt like they needed to hear that i think that was why i fell in love with it as much as i did and I still think about it a lot. I think especially after last year when the, the, the Dead Don't Die came out. And like I said, that just felt like such a, like I said, a slap in the face to everything you tried to say with that movie. But um, yeah, no, but pa- Patterson, uh, I, I wanted to put it on the list. I just, yeah, I just, I just couldn't, I didn't feel like as passionate as I am about it. Like I just kind of thought that those other ones... Okay. Needed to like slide in a bit. Well, of course it's Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Of course, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, which is a this fine choice. Favorite movie because there's no other movie as unique as Scott Pilgrim versus the World. It's such a fucking weird beast of a film that's so perfectly made. It is fucking hilarious. Like the editing in it is insane. The amount of little—I mean, it's an Edgar Wright film. The amount of little references and stuff that are just sprinkled through that film is insane the amount of joy that comes from watching the background of that movie is incredible every actor is so well cast everyone plays their part perfectly everyone has great comedic timing it's got a brilliant score and a brilliant soundtrack it's just yeah it's just hilarious like i still watch it this day and i still laugh my ass off every time i think it's i think it's i think it's brilliant um and like I said, I think you'd be hard pressed to think of something as unique. Yeah, as it's Scott definitely Pilgrim. a unique film. Um, I think it's why it's like a hard sell for some people. Well, it didn't do well. It certainly did not. No, uh, so that's, that's famously up against The Expendables and Eat, Pray, Love. Because uh, I don't know if you remember, there was a whole thing where it was like that week. There was like there was a film for the women, a film for the men, and a film for the nerds, and which was going to come out on top. That was like a big thing when it came out. Okay. And I definitely think Scott Pilgrim was the bottom of the bottom of the battle, but <laughs> uh and has had a good decade because this this decade was also World's End, which was um World's End. The tr- uh, end of the Kaneto trilogy. Yep. And Baby Driver, Baby Driver, which is really really cool. It's incredible. Um but it's yeah, such a I, perfect mesh of like 
kind of a 50s style romance and then a modern bank heist yeah film yeah um but scott pilgrim is definitely i think i would say that's his best film of the decade i'd say it was is as you say the most unique the most funny like yeah uh, he's just able i mean reading the i've recently only just recently read the comics that they're based off of and you are just reading this comic you're like this is edgar Wright's sense of humor Mm -hmm. in panel form like it's amazing how um like those two creators like would have just uh that's born to like he's born to have adapted that creator Uh like it just works in fact it'd be cool if he did uh seconds it'd be Mm. really cool to see edgar wright do seconds uh the other book that the yeah chap who i can't remember his name wrote who's Uh, brian o'malley brian o'malley brian lee o'malley brian lee o'malley Certainly not reading that off of your bookshelf, are you? Certainly not reading that off my bookshelf. How dare you accuse me of such a thing? Yeah. Um, yeah, fine choice. Thanks, man. My favourite movie of all time. But it's quite late, so <laughs> we're not going to talk about it for hours. No. Uh, Boyhood, I really, really love. I was I was really taken over by passion when I, when I first saw it. I, was, I remember going to cinema and really not knowing what to expect. Mm. I was really scared it'd be quite gimmick heavy. And I think it's... Uh, a testament to uh, my favorite director of all time, Richard Linklater, um, who I just think is just very sort of just got this lovely humanism about him. Um, but just like his talent to his patience to take this film over filmed over, was it 13 years? Yeah. Details are starting to give it scattered about it. Uh, but transcend the gimmick and make it about something it's subtle. His uh, storytelling in it is subtle but it is about this person growing up and dealing with like mentors that let him down and trying to find his own path among these mentors. I think it's really, really well and really, really effectively done. Uh, his other film that came out this decade that was really close was Before Midnight. That was actually yeah, this decade. Yeah, that was this decade, I know. Uh, yeah. The only reason Boyhood came out on top was because I think Before Midnight, is um, it helps that that comes after the first two films. Mm. Um, I think it's a lot stronger after those two, those two films. Mm. Which weren't this decade, so I think that's why that's the only reason Boyhood came out on top was like, oh, it just is a definitive experience on its own. Yeah, um, and I really love that film. Yeah, I I haven't seen it in a long time, um, but I do remember kind of being so so happy with the fact that it didn't just it doesn't just buy it like it doesn't just rely on that gimmick like that's not the gimmick is not the point i guess it's yeah. like yeah um it's just an interesting way to to tell that story to tell that story of just the journey of going from being a boy to a, a larger boy <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and i i i think it's like a really it, it, it's 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 interesting because you go through it with that same character like that same actor um i don't feel like he's he's not he's not like an actor is he? no not, i think he uh, didn't he didn't end up staying with that yeah um which is good because i think his acting ability becomes a bit strained towards the end towards the end yeah uh i think richard linklater always plays to his strength of uh not too reliant on scripts and he was very very much loosey-goosey baby loosey-goosey and he very much uh was he said he talked to the kid uh every year and talked about what he, what was happening in his life mm. and he tried to let that inform the story um, which I think is a really, really cool way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, and he's he made a film that no one else could make. And I know another one that came out this decade that is really noteworthy, Moonlight, that kind of has that similar element. Yeah. 
but you just they just didn't take 12 years to yeah. make it <laughs> they had three different actors which it, Moonlight is really really good and really really commendable and I really do like Moonlight um, but you don't get the connection with the character mm. as much as you do on this because this is just a, a once in a lifetime yeah. unique film I mean, is to the point where there's no point in making another one yeah. like if you're a filmmaker it's like maybe I'll give that a go over 13 years you don't need to bother Boyhood already exists <laughs> we have it <laughs> yeah like um, it perfectly it's beautiful it's all i really love how it's focused on moments that aren't necessarily the big moments of your childhood yeah i always think of like the weird moment where he's behind a caravan and he's like poking like a dead mouse and i'm like that's one of those memories that you can that's imagine what I used to do every day <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine sticking in your head but you're not sure why i feel like my when i think of childhood there's a lot of memories like that where it's yeah. like really small moments that you're like have an effect on you but you don't even know why or for what reason yeah. they just they are just having an effect on you um yeah it's not about That's birthdays and weddings it's like the smaller moments yeah these that little moments have this weird small impact on you yeah like i remember sitting in the shade of my dad's car because i was trying to focus on pokemon on the game boy <laughs> Uh, but the screen obviously if you've played it in the sun <laughs> you could see the screen and i yeah. don't know why that's like sticks in my head but like it just does and that's what i mean it's like there's no reason for that to be yeah. in my head but but it's informed you in a way that you can't even quite grasp it's yeah. so strange but that memory is there it's something that yeah that's what boyhood is and i think boyhood is really profound in that way really profound we should have talked about one movie a year for 10 years and that this could have been our boyhood could have but we, we could measure it together as one big pocket. Maybe we should start that. Coulda, woulda, shoulda. Uh, this has been a delight, Danny. Yeah, it's been lovely. It's been so nice to not think about the coronavirus. For I, like I completely a few forgot hours. about it too. I did. <laughs> I know, but I just thought, you know, because we're about to jump back into reality. So I was like, might as well just dip our toe back into what we're going to have to deal with. But this has been nice. It's been nice to talk about 10 years of movies. I mean, very specific movies over the course of 10 yeah. years. But We've missed a lot out. There's a lot of films that oh, are, when you're researching, you've just had to, like, you're like, I, I was like, I love we that film. We didn't talk about Joker. Oh, no. The best film of the decade. Yeah, of course. We didn't talk about Gemini Man, the other best film of the we're decade. We're going to talk about Gemini Man. Oh, we're going to talk about that. Just as soon as I find a Blu-ray copy. Just as soon as I find a pre-owned Blu-ray copy that's, like, cheap. <laughs> we're going to talk about Gemini Man, my friend, let me tell you. And we're, we're going to talk about it good. Um, I'm so worried I'm gonna see it a second time and be like, oh no, I I get why people hate this. <laughs> <laughs> By that point, you'd have been old, Will Smith. Like I'm so worried. The first I've, time you saw it, you were young. Hyped Smith. it up in my own head as to why I like it, and I'll realize I'm wrong. I've been wrong this whole time. Oh dear, I hope that's not true. I hope it's not true as well. Uh, Daddy, where can people? Oh my goodness. If you do find yourself quarantined for 14 days and think, maybe I should get in contact with a podcast who has no fan interaction whatsoever. Uh, maybe I should like slot that into my 14 days. You could get us at Second Opinion at Facebook or Twitter. That's Second with a 2. Um, stay safe out there, everyone. Don't catch the coronavirus. Don't spread the coronavirus. Stay away from it altogether. You march right up to that coronavirus, look it straight in the eye and say, don't infect me. <laughs> Damn you! <laughs> I'll fucking punch the coronavirus, I don't care. Choke slam that bad boy. You're the type. I'll fucking show him. I ain't afraid of no virus. <laughs> <laughs>
Eddie. Corona <laughs> We'll see you in the next decade, everyone. Bye. Bye.